Before we get into today's episode, I'm hosting a national real estate investing conference here in Denver, Colorado. As a loyal podcast listener, I'd like to invite you to come. There's going to be over 300 people at this event with eight top experts flying in from three different countries around the world to share their expertise in their specific niche that they found success in. From notes, assisted living, self-storage, multifamily apartments, land banking, single family rentals, and triple net leases. I truly believe that this is going to be the most diverse and value-packed real estate event ever. General admission tickets are still available, but if you're serious about taking your real estate journey to a higher level, you'll want to get locked into a VIP ticket, which includes priority seating and a mastermind dinner with these high-level real estate investors. This event is on September 22nd, and it's coming up quick. Click the link in the show notes where I'm giving you 60% off to just my podcast listeners. I'd recommend you get your ticket now while they're still available. Book that flight and come see us in Denver. Because okay. I borrowed the, uh, so the, the first house I purchased at 18 was with an FHA loan. That was just, you know, $3,000 down for $105,000 condo in, in uh, California. But the second house, what happened was I used... I'm ready to talk to you one-on-one -on -one about working together. If you think back, many of the successful multifamily investors I've interviewed here on this show, their first step into this space was becoming a passive equity partner. One of the many benefits is the opportunity to build a track record that allows you to have more credibility with sellers, brokers, and your own passive investors. My company has about 700 doors that we're actively working on right now. And when these go to contract, we bring these opportunities to the accredited investors that are on our list. If you've already been thinking about getting a portfolio of multifamily doors, then now is a great opportunity for you to be involved with Blue Spruce Holdings as a passive equity partner. One of the unique things that my team does for our equity partners is sending out invites when we tour a new property, which allows them to see what we look for, along with getting to know the building and the neighborhood and even meeting some of the residents. So if you're ready to take the next step and set up a one-on-one -on -one call with me, then please find my calendar link in today's show notes and let's talk. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams. Today, we're joined with Daniel Amaduri, and, and he is from Future Money Trends. He actually puts out a newsletter mostly geared toward millennials, but there's all ages, 50s and plus are his biggest listeners or readers. They call them readers when they read, I think. And, uh, and this is an educational platform that helps a lot of people understand the trends and what is going on with money. So I would uh, direct you guys toward that, definitely. He's also a note investor. He invests passively, but what we're really going to focus on today is all the creative financing strategies that he's used, both on the buy side and on the sell side. And there's multiple strategies, so we'll get through a little bit of that. But hey, Daniel, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, Daniel Amaduri, founder of Future Money Trends, co-founder. And uh, I'm very focused on finance. It's been my hobby since I was a kid. I've loved investing. I bought my first business at 16, bought my first house at 18, second at 19, which at 19 was my very first creative real estate deal. And um, I've just always been fascinated with uh, money, not for materialism's sake. Um, I've 
got a, some great stories, personal finance stories, uh, back when, uh, you know, driving an, an 03 Ultima, even when I was making, you know, significant amount of money or living in a house that was one fifth of the, my annual income today, actually, that's true as well again. So um, I love personal finance, love investing and uh, real estate's been something that I've used since the beginning. And I've made a lot of money in real estate and I've also lost a ton and blown myself up. But uh, last, uh, you know, decade here, I've been doing essentially just creative real estate, creative financing uh, since 2008. Great. Well, I'm glad you're on the show. I know you have a lot for us. And you said your most creative, was the 19-year-old your most creative deal or just your first creative deal? I think it was one of the most creative because okay. I borrowed the, uh, so the, the first house I purchased at 18 was with an FHA loan. That was just, you know, $3,000 down for $105,000 condo in, in uh, California. But the second house, what happened was I used the realtor to advance her. She advanced me her commission. And um, she put a, uh, so she loaned me $10,000, put the $10,000 on the original purchase. And then of course, when she got paid, uh, it was like me paying her back and, you know, I gave her exclusive rights to sell the properties and, the, and that type of thing. So I've, I've made back-end deals with realtors to like, hey, I'll purchase these homes with you, but you've got to sell them or, or advance me the commission to get these done. I would say that was the most creative just because I was a 19-year-old kid, didn't know what I was doing. Uh, first of all, had no, you know, most people who would buy a house at 18 or, or a second one at 19, but I was just, I was out there just doing it. And, I, and I've always focused on solutions. You know, so many people have said, you can't do something, they close their mind off to it right away. And I've always been like, hey, let's dig into this. There's got to be a way to a way forward. Absolutely. I love it. So focused on solutions. I'm going to quote you on that because that is one thing that I definitely want the listeners to pick up through all of the podcast is be solutions focused rather than, um, you know, any, any other problem, anything else that you're thinking of is, is not the correct thing. It's how do you solve a problem? And for, in this case, you solved a problem for you, the seller and your realtor, everybody won. It's just that you had to ask a question that not most people ask. I would like to dive in a little bit more on the first 19 year old, the first creative deal that you did, the one after the FHA and talk a little bit more about how did you uh, make that come about? What were the challenges and what made you think outside the box to overcome them? It's a great question because first of all, most of the realtors and brokers are very conventional thinking, uh, the loan officers too. So a lot of times they won't even try by, by pure laziness. A lot of them have a mentality of unless it's what they're told to do, they won't even try to think about it. You really need to find that business owner. I mean, and that's who I found. I found a broker and she was willing to think outside the box with me. And honestly, uh, where this all came about was I was probably 17 or 18 years old. You know, like many of you on this, uh, listening to this, used to watch uh, Carlton Sheets on Sunday mornings yeah. and watch him pitch his thing. And I bought that program and then I ended up paying $3,000 for the coaching program. And I went through this whole thing. And in the end, I just, I don't think I applied any of the ideas at that time but it planted a lot of ideas in my head for later. And that was where I got the idea of approaching the broker and saying, look, I've got a way for you to make money, but in order for you to make money, I've got to get this house and it'll be a big win-win for everybody. And so that's how the broker was open to doing it. And then of course I removed her risk 
by putting the, the second trust deed on the first house we purchased together. So now she's got, she's like, okay, well, I've got a note backed by an asset. I'm advancing him essentially my commission because he's going to pay me back uh, when he buys the next property. And I also committed that I would sell the property with her. So it was a, it was a double whammy for her. And uh, I have to say that, you know, um, it was really from watching those Carlton Sheets videos. And uh, I don't even know if the guy's around or alive anymore. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, if, if anybody's over 35 years old, I know for sure you saw these things on the weekends in the morning. Absolutely. So we're actually going to dive into three of your deals. We're going to start with the one that you did, the owner financing on the sell side. Okay. Then we're going to go into one of the owner financing that you did on the buy side. And after that, when we get into the final five, you'll do your most creative deal. So you'll bring the best for last. All right. So okay. first question, uh, let's talk a little bit about the owner financing that you did on the sell side. Okay, so this I've only done it once, and it was in the past three weeks. So here's how the deal went. Um, I got called up by my realtor, and this was a distressed seller situation. They had a great mortgage. House was worth about two ninety, and it was just a simple paint, carpet, not even blind, just paint and carpet. Uh, so minimal, minimal repair. They were willing to allow me to assume the loan for ten years, uh, assume their mortgage. Um, and all they wanted to do was get out of this property with $4,000, $2,000 essentially to move and $2,000 probably for their uh, deposit on their home. They just need to get out of this deal. Uh, and it was, had three days to go. So it was, you know, as easy as wiring the money, making sure the realtors got paid. Once I took over the property, got it fixed really quick, which was not a problem, about $5,000 in expense. Now, even though the property is worth about 285 to 290, because it's because I am the seller and I'm offering seller financing, I listed it for 300 as a seller finance deal, 10% down, which would recoup me everything that I put in the deal, and 8% interest rate when I'm paying about four and a half percent interest rate. So there's a nice spread there. Uh, plus, I sold it for more, so there's there's that equity capture as well. So when it's all said and done at the end of five years, I should receive about $52,000 in interest, plus another $50,000 in just pure profit. So that is the plan. I was, it was sold with a five-year balloon payment. Keep in mind that the underlying note that I assumed has a 10-year, so I, I bought myself some time. So if the individual purchased the home, sees it through, it's a very profitable event. A better way to cash flow home, uh, because I don't, I'm not responsible for any of the repairs. Remember, I'm no longer the owner, I'm the bank. So that was on that end, you know, look, if the AC is broken in two years, that owner is going to be responsible for it. And hopefully they will be able to refinance the property or, or maybe they'll sell it in the future and it'll all be restored. But if they do foreclose, I will, you know, or excuse me, if they do default, I would foreclose and I would have the house again. I can either do that again or make it a rental or sell it myself conventionally. There are many options as the seller. But the main reason to sell our finance for me was because it increased my income. Uh, and it, it was that you were actually able to sell the property at a premium because of the seller financing, because I wasn't a distressed seller. I don't want people to think that all seller finance deals, you're paying more than you need to. No, no, Absolutely. I'm not a distressed seller. So I was able to do that. But, you know, so when, on the, when you're a buyer of these deals, you're not looking for people like me. This is, I'm, I'm designed for somebody who maybe has bad credit, coming out of a divorce and the bank won't loan them money. So I'm willing to, um, but as an investor, if you're listening to this, 
you're looking for the distressed property and, or a distressed seller or a combination of both. Perfect. So the value when you bought it was 285 to 290. Is that right? Correct. And I bought it for about 229. Okay. So the loan on it was 229. So you already had around 60 grand in equity. And then it was four, you only had 4k down. Yeah, I just, oh, I had to give about $12,000 to the realtors who uh, helped transact the deal. Okay. And about $6,000 was spent on um, all the full rehab. That includes even the maid going in through the property. Okay. So 12 plus six plus four is like 22. Yeah. And then when you got your 10% down listed at 300, you got yeah. about 30K. 30K came in. More than recouped your costs. And how, and so they had a loan balance for 290. What were your payments to the seller and what were your payments coming in from your buyer? So I, I can give you off the top of my head when, it, when it's all said and done with taxes, insurance and, and everything, my payment is about 1700 rounded to the nearest zero. Um, the, new, the, new per, the new person who's purchasing for me, his payment with taxes, insurance, as well as the mortgage is about 2300 Great. Uh, the question that I had is you have used the word assumed the loan, assumed the loan. You said it a couple of times. And I was curious because I know that assumable, assumable loans are kind of going out the window for a single family. So I was curious if this was more of a subject to or more of a some uh, actual assumed loan. So I have never seen a mortgage company that will allow you to assume a loan. And in fact, when you sign your loan docs on a conventional mortgage, it specifically says that you can't do that and that they could call the note immediately. But what I have learned for the past 10 years at the very minimum, maybe going back to 20 years, um, is that the banks don't care. And I have Googled this, I have read blogs, I have talked to other investors, I've been to many, many conferences, and I, you know, I've done this, I'm currently active in a lot of these deals right now. No one cares as long as you're paying the bill. Wells Fargo, will not care. The, the most important thing, if you're the buyer, is you want to get a, uh, an authorization form from the person who's actually on the loan. Let's say John Smith is on the loan. You need John Smith to give you full authorization to speak to the bank and talk to the, about the loan and make changes on that loan. That way, John Smith can go off to the sunset and never think about this again, as long as you make the payment, because if you don't, he's gonna get a letter on his credit score. But as long as you're making your payments and you have that authorization, it literally, you can treat it just as your own mortgage. And I know a lot of people might be fearful that, you know, look right here, my attorney's saying, or the realtor saying that it says that they could call the note due. Look, it technically, yes, they could, but I have just never heard of it being done. And I would challenge you to even try to find that. It's very difficult. Um, I know that I've done this many times with Wells Fargo, Bank of America, MT Bank is the new one. I never even heard of that bank. No one cares as long as you're making that payment. Love it. Okay, so let's go into a couple other deals. I know a lot of the owner finance deals that you do, you take them over and you assume the loan or do subject to, and you actually do a fix and flip. Um, let's talk about one of the fix and flips for the last two deals we talked about and one of the ones where you held it as a rental. Does that work for you? Sure. All right, okay. which one do you want to go now? Okay, let's go fix and flip. Okay. Um, it was last year, there was a, there was a house that was worth $300,000 in Central Texas. And 
the seller was going into foreclosure because he had a foundation problem. When you have a foundation problem, you cannot sell the property conventionally. So you're looking for a cash buyer or some sort of investor, unless you can fix the foundation. Now the crazy thing about the foundation problems, at least in central Texas, is that they're really cheap to fix. I've never seen one over like $6,000. And that includes me on this deal. When we fixed the foundation, it was about three grand, but it was a two story house. So when we moved the property, um, it, it, it adjusted some pipes. So I had to repipe the house as well. Still only $6,000 to do all this. Now the seller um, had let this go on. Like this is crazy how it works. So most of the time, these people know of their problem. And they just kick the can, kick the can, kick the can until all of a sudden, now they're calling a, a bird dog or a wholesale or, or you'll stumble onto the property because you're out looking for them or letting realtors know you're looking for them. And that's what happens. It just, it's, it's a very solvable problem, but it has no time left to fix it. And in this case, it really baffled me because the seller actually had a $30,000 HELOC with a zero balance. They literally could have taken care of this themselves. Yeah, that's interesting. So, in, in this case, I paid them $10,000 to take over the property. The realtors who brought me the deal, because I had specifically told the realtors in my area that I was looking for foundation problems because upon fixing my primary residence, I had discovered that, holy crap, this is a really easy problem to fix and everybody's scared to death of it. So I was like, that's exactly what you want. You know, I don't want to be competing with paint carpet blinds. I want to compete with what nobody wants. So I even went to the extent, I was like, find me a kitchen that's blown up or something. Uh, but, you know, these foundation problems, uh, I just learned that they're not that big of a deal. So, and the best part about it, Texas, by law, once they do the foundation repair, it has a lifetime warranty. So you're actually selling a property now that, you know, the only one in the neighborhood that has a lifetime warranty on the foundation. So um, that property was literally, you know, $10,000 of the seller, about $15,000 between closing costs and the realtor, and it was about $25,000 to turn it. That was full-blown paint, carpet blinds, plus the foundation, plus some stuff on the outside. But then I was, I was able to list it uh, for just over 300000 sold it in the matter of weeks. It was a very clean deal. Uh, so that was a fix and flip. And that's typically what I'm going for. I'm not, I'm not a wholesaler. I'm sure there are people on your shows who do you know, 100 plus properties a year. I'm that, I'm that guy who maybe many of the listeners are like, where I'm doing three to five deals a year. Maybe some years might go by just do one or two deals a year. So I'm really, I kind of let the realtors know my criteria and then I kind of just wait for them to call me. And usually they call me when it's a really crappy situation, like uh, the one a few months or a month ago that, uh, you know, somebody's, the, the bank's going to take the property in two days. They need somebody who can wire, you know, money right away. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, so that was the most recent deal on a fix and flip on the most buy and holds. I'll we'll, we'll get in. We'll get into okay. that in just a moment. I do have a question on this fix and flip one. How much did it cost you out of pocket to get into the deal? How long did it take you to flip it? And how much did you net? So it was about $25,000 to fix and it was $25,000 to acquire. So 50 to total all in plus maybe a handful of mortgage payments. Once the realtors uh, were paid, um, and you know, some other expenses, just like holding costs because the property was listed for about three months. Um, the actual profit was only about $50,000, which is good. That's a great profit. But you know, when you're talking real estate, the numbers look very big sometimes, but once the realtors are paid in the commission, 
But when it was all said and done, I made about $50,000. Awesome. And did you say how long it took you? It was about a six month ordeal. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, we will get into your most creative deal. Uh, that'll be the one where we're talking about one of the deals that you actually purchased and held as a rental. Uh, but right after these quick messages. Want daily interviews with real estate investors and none of the fluff? Go to bestevershow.com where Joe Fairless interviews daily real estate investors and entrepreneurs about their best advice ever. Go to bestevershow.com. As a fix and flipper, you need to save money wherever you can to make sure you stay under budget. Well, something I haven't mentioned enough is that I have a company that can fund your fix and flips for a lot less than your current hard money lender. Find out more by looking in today's show notes. All right, you ready? I am. All right, what's the most creative deal you've done? So the most creative deal I, I did was I wanted to purchase a fourplex. And uh, again, it was, this was one was in South Texas had really, really good favorable terms. Uh, and the seller was a distressed seller uh, because they had just been, you know, the tenants weren't, you know, paying the proper rents. They just got in over their heads. Now they refused to do a seller financing deal. But lo and behold, this seller had purchased it with an LLC. So I didn't even do a real estate transaction for this one. I just told the guy, I said, hey, what do you, you're, this is what you're wanting to net. And he wanted to net about $30,000. And I bought the LLC for $30,000 by taking over the LLC. The LLC owned the property. It was done. It was very simple, smoothest transaction. I wish they were all like that. It was most yeah. creative, but it was, it was something a lot of people might not think about. But uh, I was very lucky. And it almost made me... Um, if I had more time or, or wanted to dedicate more time, I'd almost look for, I'd almost send out mailers to non-owner occupant LLCs because that was the damn near easiest way I could ever purchase real estate. We didn't even have an escrow or title company involved, simply went down to an attorney, went in the office, paid the attorney 1500 bucks. Uh, he wrote up a purchase agreement for the LLC, filed all the proper paperwork with the state and everybody left happy. Uh, he got his $30,000. I had a cash flowing fourplex that I could then go in. I went in and, and rehabbed each unit slowly. As, as, each, as each tenant left, I would rehab it and then raise the rent significantly. And uh, to this day, I still own that property. When, what year did you buy that again? Uh, 20, 2014. Okay, 2014. And then well, we, all of your closing cost was just 30K uh, that you bought for the actual property. And yeah. then one attorney, 1500 bucks. And that was it. Let me ask you, how did you do your due diligence on the LLC to make sure that the owner of the LLC or the LLC wasn't tied up in child support liens or anything else like that? So that was where the 1500 went for the attorney. Um, okay. The attorney was an expert on LLCs, not real estate. And that's all he did all day long. He did the search, made sure. Of course, I did have him also do a title search, make sure the property was, uh, you know, had a clean title. Uh, it did. And then it was able to basically take the nice thing about the, the, that the prior seller too, he had barely purchased the property two years. So that's also nice too, because the history was not that long. It wasn't yeah. like I needed a, you know, forensic analysis of something 20 years old. Love it. Okay. So on that fourplex, what was the full value of the fourplex? So the full fix up after repair value of that fourplex was 225. It's worth about 275 today. 
um, the mortgage that I took over was 143. So essentially I purchased the property for 173 because the seller got $30,000 cash um, and then and for the LLC. So I was left with a $143,000 mortgage with taxes, insurance, and the mortgage. Uh, Texas has higher high real estate taxes. I was paying about 1,500 a month. The property was bringing in about 22, but today it brings in close to three uh, because I have gone in and rehabbed every single unit now and I've been able to raise the rents. Okay, so you've, re you've actually replaced or fixed up uh, four of those units, so four out of the four, and changed the rents from 22 to 3,000. What is your net operating income these days? So, you know, after expenses, uh, which is the 1,500, um, you know, and then I have a property manager, and they take about, I think, uh, that's $250 a month. Uh, so between the property management fees, the insurance title, insurance, everything, not counting for vacancies, I'm making about $1,100 a month from that property. Awesome. So 3000 out and you're making about uh, 13000 every year. So mm -hmm. it's, it's almost, it almost pays itself every other year. That's pretty yeah. great. And there's no reason to ever get rid of it. It's, it's yeah. a fourplex in South Texas uh, in a good spot near San Antonio. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a cash, it's, it's a cash cow. How could I ever get rid of it? Absolutely. That, that is awesome. So remind us, will you tell me again, how did you find this distressed seller for the fourplex in South Texas? So that's a great question because uh, normally for the single families, uh, I, I contact several realtors because that's kind of where their bread and butter is. On this fourplex, it was actually on Craigslist. Um, and I was just searching for investor specials, fourplexes, foundation problems, and stumbled upon this and uh, spoke to the seller. He had never heard of seller financing, so he was scared to death of it, which is why he wouldn't let me assume it. Um, but then, you know, as I was just engaging in conversation with him, I found out, you know, I didn't want to hit that wall. I wanted to keep finding, well, what else could we do? And um, I asked him, I said, hey, what if I spoke to the bank and had the bank do it, um, you know, with the bank's approval? Because I figured that would make them feel better. And upon asking him that, I learned that, holy mackerel, on the mortgage statement, it says LLC. And then that was it. I was like, oh, we don't need, we, we, we're going to save a lot of time here, buddy. Let me just buy that LLC. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really, really appreciate it. All right. What's a book you recommend to the listeners? You know, it's it's probably one that's been recommended many times, but I think a, a classic book for everybody should read is Rich Dad Poor Dad, and as well as Rich Dad Poor Dad Cash Flow Quadrant. I think those are like the two most important books I've ever read as a as a person. Thank you. And what where, where were you five years ago, and where will you be in five years from today? So five years ago, I was coming off of uh, the disaster of two thousand eight, like many many people listening to this, and. Um, I was, I was investing, I was buying houses, I was building uh, the Future Money Trends letter and, and uh, advancing that as a personal finance blog, which later became a newsletter with videos and everything. And I was, um, you know, doing my best to, to invest. There was, there was cheap real estate everywhere. Um, where am I, where, where do I see myself in five years from now? You know, I, I, I do consider um, uh, not doing my business full-time. I have partners, hopefully they're not listening to the show, but I do consider, you know, I'm, I just turned 37 last week. You know, I'm thinking maybe 40 is a nice number to just, uh, you know, focus on the investing. I think investing is the highest uh, way you can produce income. 
I've, I've surpassed how much passive income I want it. Um, you know, of course, once you get there, you want more because my expenses went up, not my mandatory expenses, but we like to go on nice vacations, certainly more than better than we did five years ago. So I don't know where I see myself five years from now. Now it's funny because if you would have asked me 20 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago, I did have these objectives, but I've met a lot of my objectives, probably all the financial objectives. So outside of trying to become a hundred millionaire, I don't know. I think I'll just probably uh, travel and hang out with the kids. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. All right. So how do you give back? You know, I'm very compassionate with children. So I do my best if I see children in need and I try to do it anonymously. So whether they're sick or whether they're just in a bad situation, if I get a chance to do that, I will do it. Uh, but I honestly think the best way to give back is to just work on building great businesses, be exceptional with your investments. You know, I treat my tenants like the Marriott. Well, I'm not a slumlord. When my tenants have a trouble, they get help the same day. They get help just as if my AC was broken in my house. And I think, you know, when you, when you do build profitable situations, you know, from the repairman to when he takes his paycheck and he spends it at Chili's or wherever, I think the best way to give back is to build exceptional businesses and uh, ways to profit. Great. Thank you. And finally, if people want to find your newsletter or reach out to you and ask questions on some of the creative stuff you've done or how you're investing passively, how would they get a hold of you? You know, the best thing to do is go to futuremoneytrends.com. You can subscribe for free to my weekly wealth digest. It's right at the homepage. Uh, each week I give you a different idea of, of how to invest in, or personally personal finance experiences I've been through, my wife and I. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you want to contact me, you can email me, daniel at futuremoneytrends.com. Great. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. And until next time, Daniel, think outside the box. Thank you. Hey, it's DJ. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. We're glad you keep listening to each episode. And I want to ask you to please take a minute to give us a five-star review. And remember, we are not attorneys or CPAs. This is just the stuff you bring to your advisors.